0: well good morning everybody it's Jean nathan and this is crosstown conversations and you know we are coming up on the silly season the carnival season but um there's some pretty serious stuff going on uh in the world good and a little scary maybe but uh, we have wonderful experts who have it all under control, I'm sure. Um, so I am going to um, be talking today, first of all, about the Lot Next Door program. I'm sure most of you have heard about it. What you may not know is that it's about to relaunch. And so I'm really excited about it, because I think it's been a great way to really try to um, encourage uh, the redevelopment of the city. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, talking with Brenda Brough, who I believe is on the line, so we'll take her in just a second. And then um, we're going to talk with Andrea Nika uh, Morris, who's going to talk to us about the housing situation overall. Um, and we are also have um, really impressive folks in our office today from the Army Corps of Engineers who know what's going on with the river. And I know we're all kind of keeping our eye on it And this morning even we just had a bunch of new loose barges. That's always something that comes along with high river is loose barges. They're, they see it sort of go together, just like um, I don't know a cherry on a Sunday. So and that's a so sanguine, of course, um, an event. Um, well, let's get started. Let's uh, let's go with Brenda Bro. Are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning, Jean. Good morning to you. And uh, Brenda, folks, is the chief operating officer for the New Orleans Redevelopment Authority. And I just am so impressed with the way the new crew, um, Jeff and you and others, have stirred things up at Nora and really fulfilled its original mission to help redevelop the city. So I'm I'm really excited in general about what you're up to, so we're going to talk in general a little bit, but also about the um, Lot Next Door program, which... Uh, You know, one thing I'm curious about, I I associate it with New Orleans because I never heard of it before, but I'm wondering if this was a program we picked up that was happening elsewhere, or um, is it something that we invented? I certainly know that uh, Karen Gadwa, of course, championed it in the beginning, and then you guys have made it happen,
1: but um, where where did it come from? Well, originally, the lot next door, uh, the concept about utilizing vacant lots or uh, bringing vacant lots uh, uh, back into commerce has really been, uh, a tool that, uh, lots of other cities have used, uh, cities such as Philadelphia, cities such as Baltimore. Uh, what makes this a little unique to the city of New Orleans and for the redevelopment authority is that these were a large number of lots that NORA, uh, got into its possession as the depository for the city of New Orleans, uh, at after a a lot of the road home properties were uh, received and taken on for control by Nora, we decided that we wanted to make certain that the adjacent property owner had an opportunity to expand their current homestead, which is really what the the nemesis of the program uh, is. is about an opportunity for individuals to expand their homestead, to get a larger lot, uh, to make improvements on the lot, and for to allow Nora uh, to uh, get that property off its inventory uh, and putting it back in commerce, so it's a win-win, not only for Nora but for the property owner as well as uh, the rest of the city, as another lot uh, coming back onto the uh, the uh, the uh, rent, the, rent, the rolls. So, Brenda, <clears throat> give me some statistics.
0: Um, how how many uh, neighbors have been able to? Um, Assume lots next door, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious to know what they've done with them. If you have any kind of uh, sort of profiles of um, how they've used them, are they using them for parking, for gardens, for, um, oh. for
1: expansions of their homes, etc.? Well, they're using it in a number of ways, Jean. Uh We have uh, disposed of a little over a thousand, uh, about 11 to 1200 properties through the Lot Next Door program. Uh, It's been one of our uh, uh, very good but silent programs. Uh, Individuals get an opportunity to expand their current uh, 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 homestead. Uh, They have uh, utilized it in uh, many ways. Some of it has uh, been used, the property, to provide for additional parking uh, to their home. But what's unique about the program is that you're allowed to provide for some a greenery and providing some other things onto that property in exchange for you receiving a discount uh, in the purchase price. So you can provide for landscaping, permeable pavement, uh, uh, putting in fruit trees, all of that that you would get a credit for, which would offset the actual purchase price of the property. We have uh, lots of uh, uh, individuals. Uh, uh, that have utilized uh, this program, one of the things that's unique about it is that not only do we ha- have families you know make that commitment that they want to acquire the lot, but what we have is a post closing compliance unit that goes out and confirm that they've made that commitment that they've maintained the property and that they have to maintain that property and keep that in their possession for uh, five years after uh, we sold it to them so I I guess you would basically
0: say this program has been a success, right? And so tell me what your expectations are for the expansion of it. How how does it look for um, what you think the impact will be
1: going forward? Uh, Well, the impact, I believe, will be great. What we have done uh, is that individuals over the course of the past uh, year have uh, submitted expressions of interest. We have a a tool on our website at uh, redevelop.com. NOLA.gov, which is our NORA website, where individuals have gone online, uh, expressed their interest in a particular parcel. Uh, They've indicated whether or not they're the adjacent property owner, and if so, they're adjacent property owner. They have a structure on the house. It's currently occupied. We automatically check that off in the box and notify them when when we were going to relaunch the program. As of uh, thus far, we've gotten expressions of interest a little upwards of uh, about 125 thus far of individuals that have expressed interest in uh, the lot next door program and us relaunching it. So not only would I say it's uh, sort of kind of an ex- success story, it has been a great success. And a lot of families and individuals have really benefited from this program. I'm so and the excited about in it. in general,
0: yeah, it's great. Now, Brenda, give me um, a little broader. Let's let's take a let's pull back out and um, give me a, um, a a little overview of not only this program but what are a, a couple of the other key working programs right now that are having an impact. And then I, I can't resist asking you. You know, I, I do a lot of things down in the Lower Ninth Ward. We have um, a uh, art uh, facility right on the levee, mm-hmm. on uh, in the Holy Cross, and mm-hmm. um, I'm curious about the Ninth Ward area on the uh, lakeside of Saint Claude, and it, it still seems so empty. And 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 uh, you know, I know it's nobody. It's not deliberate. It, it's it's a market driven issue. It is an mm-hmm. environmental issue. It is a um, sea level issue. I mean, that whole area was below sea level. Um, So I understand all those issues. But what, just what, um, let's start with that, actually. I just really want to nail that. Okay.
1: What is going on there? Well, what we've done is that uh, Nora has done a couple of things uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward. Uh, We uh, initially had our Neighborhood Stabilization Program, uh, where we invested uh, in uh, the Lower Ninth Ward with a lot of our partners uh, such as, uh, Make It Right, uh, uh such as, uh, uh, Nina, uh, whereby we invested, uh, both, uh, uh, grant dollars in the form, in the form of, uh, uh, development costs to cover some of the development costs. Uh, to provide for uh, uh, assistance, for home buyer assistance with that, which really helps to spur the development on that side of uh, the Lower Knife Ward. What we've recently done is we've commissioned a study by uh, TRF uh, just so that when we were talking about uh, putting our dollars uh, back uh, in the Lower Knife Ward and some of Nora dollars and property and bringing that back, online, we commissioned a study and just getting the confirmation as to what was the uh, sweet spot uh, in the Lorne Ninth Ward whereby we would make those levels of investment. We also looked at the housing NOLA plan and looked at where the areas for affordable housing was needed based on that plan. And what Nora did recently, G, was that we issued a solicitation uh, asking developers to uh, provide for proposals as to how they might develop the Lower Ninth Ward. We put up about 246 properties and making them available. Uh, We received the responses from that proposal on January the 8th. We're scheduling an evaluation of those, and we anticipate on making awards for that. Now, what we did was is that we looked at the area between St. Claude and uh, uh, from I'm sorry, between St. Claude uh, up to um, Florida, uh, bounded by the uh, industrial uh, by the industrial canal and uh, the uh, St. Bernard Parish line. So what we wanted to do was uh, further our investments and parallel that with the city investments. This is in the area right around the new CVS that's coming online uh, that we see. We took a drive by throughout that entire neighborhood to see what the missing uh, lots were, determine who the ownership interest was, and we're working with the city as well in an effort to try and acquire some of those tax-adjudicated properties that make them available, and that's in addition to the work that we're doing with the 240-some-odd properties that we put forth to make it available for development.
0: So, so Brenda, explain to me, sort of, um, what what? Uh, so you're you're going to be evaluating these developer proposals on the basis of what? What are you looking to see happen there?
1: What's what's Nora's vision for the area? Uh, the, uh, the vision for the area is to uh, is recognition that there's a need for not only just uh, affordable homeownership opportunities, but there's yet still a need. For rental uh, affordable homeownership, uh, uh, rental uh, housing opportunities. Our envision is that we would have developers respond to that. That one had some capital and/or had uh, all of the capital, and with the exception of the land. Recognizing that land is uh, prime. Uh, the locations that we've identified are uh, good locations. It's areas where individuals have already invested. It's areas where we've seen just a, with a little bit of help that it would go uh, reach that tipping point so that we would have a very solid neighborhood. As we look throughout the city and we look at where land is available, uh, the Lower Knife Ward is prime and prime for redevelopment. We recognize that we as the Re- Development Authority have an obligation and an opportunity to further stir that redevelopment in the Lower Knife Ward. Hence our issuing of the RFP
0: okay and and so um what often also makes an area attractive for development are certain kinds of assets, um, obviously retail is one of them, but natural resources and um, parks, recreational mm-hmm. facilities, schools um, so looking at that side of the of the uh, balance sheet what do you see developing and and do you guys have any plans? I mean, a lot of people have said all along, gee, I wish there would be some farm areas in there, some garden areas, some uh, park areas. And and I know that that's um, uh, not a remunerative necessarily way to use property, Mm -hmm. but it does um, have the benefit of making the area more attractive to folks. So are those in the plans, too, or not?
1: Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. What we've already done is that we have several lots uh, uh, that we have made available, uh, particularly in the Lower Knife Ward, which is one of our areas where individuals have expressed lots of interest, and we've leased lots to individuals and transferred lots for uh, development, for community gardens, uh, for uh, for uh, citrus groves, uh, for uh uh, collection for honey uh, we have several community gardens and green spaces that we have in the lower Ninth Ward, whereby we've made our properties available one of our programs not only just a housing component is that we are uh, land stewardship which we uh, have uh, uh, land that we make available uh, for development into uh, again community gardens if individuals uh, are interested in uh, putting a garden on and growing that. One of our major partners in the Lower Ninth Ward with respect to our community gardens has been Sankofa uh, as well. We have other partners that we have worked with in the Lower Ninth Ward. So what we be, uh, envision, Gene, is not only just the housing component, but recognizing the need for green space. There's a new school uh, 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 that's uh, currently under construction in the Lower Ninth Ward. The city's investing uh, in the the major roads uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward, recognizing that's not all of the roads, but the major roads uh, in the Lower Ninth Ward, uh, the new Sanchez Center that's uh, come online in the Lower Ninth Ward, the new fire station, all of that in furtherance of trying to develop a cohesive, quality community where everyone would want to live.
0: Yeah, and I, I have to say uh, I have been making use of the Sanchez Center. We performed an opera there. Mm-hmm. Um, during the uh, 10th anniversary, and we just had some community meetings. Say, what a what a beautiful building! That was really well done. And um, uh, Sankofa, I haven't made it there quite yet. On, I'm I, I'm still working on Saturdays, unfortunately, mm-hmm. when it's open. But um, yeah, I see that and think that that's terrific too. So, well, all that is kind of sounding encouraging. If you don't mind, I want to join in now, um, uh, uh, Andrea. And I, I don't think I pronounced her name quite right. And let me make sure that. Um, so, Lee, I press two now to uh, add. Um, are you are, you, uh, are you there? Oh, this is a caller. Oh, okay. If you would also join in, Miss Andriacca, that would be great. Um, Alice, Miss Alice.
1: I just had a question for for your um, guest, Dora. Um, uh-huh. um, understanding that you know. We have that beautiful new school coming up on Andree. Uh What is you know? How are they working with the city to try and get those streets corrected and redone because they are in deplorable condition around the school? We actually had a meet. That was a meeting with uh, councilman Gray with District E last night. But that's that's you know the thing is how are you all coordinating your efforts to make. To actually get the most bang for your buck because I think that if there would be a missed opportunity not to try and redevelop that area around that beautiful school make sure that we have good roads and streets that go, that lead to and from the school and if your guests could speak to that I'd like to know what.
0: Okay um, So you. Brenda are you aware of yes. uh, the plans on the streets?
1: Yes there, that's part of the, uh, the city's uh, one of the city's goals is to uh, make the major, uh, uh, street repairs, uh, in the lower ninth ward. If you drive around any street in the lower ninth ward, you would see, uh, uh lots of, uh, construction activity with them working on the streets and working on, uh, uh, the roadway, uh, recognizing again, uh, as the caller mentioned, it may not be all of the streets today, but our work is coordinated with the city's, uh, uh, Office of Public Works. We coordinate our with Sewage and Water Board and the city's Office of Housing and Community Development. No longer are we working in silos. We have been working together on one platform so that we organize our work and we utilize the limited funds and resources that we have, and we're all concentrated in the same area.
0: Yeah, and and, and gosh, um, this, I think we're going to probably, uh, Brenda, you're not quite as old as me, but uh, we'll probably be um, facing street construction work in the city of New Orleans for the rest of certainly my life uh, because um, in addition to all the work that's now being done everywhere, there's so much more coming online because, mm-hmm. you know, the FEMA money has been committed and, and we are going to see improvements. But in the meantime, whoa, the streets are rough. And, um, yeah, uh, the traffic situation in New Orleans is I've got to get somebody from traffic, um, uh, from transportation on, on the phone uh, on the show soon because, wow, I, I just uh, I'm, I, I'm astounded at the amount of traffic now getting around New Orleans. That used to be a 10, 15 minute deal wherever you wanted to go. And now it's like where I left. I left New York. One of the reasons I hated the traffic. And um, now I seem to be back in it, so I'm curious. I have a theory about it, though. My theory, to depart for just a second, is that we lost a lot of people who didn't have cars, and we've gained a lot of people who do have cars. A lot of these young creatives who are escaping from the rents in uh, Brooklyn and and come here, and and, um, they've got a little bit more money, and they've got cars. What do you think about that theory?
1: I do see a whole lot of cars, Gene. I have got to tell you, and getting around has taken a little bit longer, which just means that I've got to leave home maybe another fifteen minutes in advance to make the trek.
0: Exactly. So. It's it's kind of frightening. Um, well, uh, give give me. Um, I, I I am going to be talking shortly with um, Andrea Nisia. I think I finally got her name straight. Um, who's going to talk to us about affordable housing in the city? Uh, which is her focus, but um, share with me any other. we've touched on uh, two programs. Um, tell me whatever else um, you feel is okay. important for us to
1: have in terms of the picture of what Nora's up to. Oh absolutely one other program that I didn't I was talking about our commercial revitalization program. Uh, we uh, Nora prov- serves as a, uh, to provide uh, gap uh, funding and financing for major redevelopment projects. Uh, we've invested and uh, with that with uh, the Dryad uh, Public Market. Uh, we've uh, invested with that in, with Cafe Reconcile. We've invested with that with uh, the uh, Whole Foods on Broad. Uh, we have uh, invested in that with some of the work that's going on with the New Orleans Mission as well. We have uh, major corridors, uh, 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 Aretha Castle-Haley, St. Claude, with the Healing Center. Our corridors extend even as far down as the Lower Ninth Ward with respect to commercial uh, development. Our goal with that is to serve as a gap financing to provide for the financing that would be needed to get that project over the threshold. Were it not for that additional gap financing, that project would not move forward i think i'd be remiss gene if i didn't mention our uh, facade renew program which is uh, uh, a facade facelift that we're doing in uh along bayou road along aretha castle haley and along st claude and it provides for a grant of about thirty-seven thousand five hundred uh for uh, property owners uh, who have commercial buildings who are requiring facelifts. We use the Main Street corridors as kind of the basis for identifying which of those areas needed that uh, funding. And we've received over 30 applications to date for that program. And you would notice that if you drive down St. Claude uh, and OC Haley as well, of small businesses, that this really helps uh, them with uh, cleaning up their uh, exterior of their building and right? I I've, I've Road, noticed it, familiar with yeah, um, some of the work that's going on down there that's part of the uh, Nora's facade renew grant well of
0: course I live near Bayou Road too and I've, I've been watching the work on Bayou Road and I'm, I'm very happy to see that since that's, that's literally my neighborhood mm-hmm. but um uh I, I, I didn't hear you mention um, Broad Street, and Broad Street is another. I mean, you did mention it in terms of the uh, Whole Foods program, but um, in terms of uh, facade improvement, are you involved there too or not?
1: No, we're not involved there with our facade grant. Mm-hmm. That is our commercial uh, revitalization uh, funding that goes uh, down broad. Uh, uh, so that's it's, where it's our whole funding is limited there. Right. Well,
0: um, I love having this update. I'm, I'm really excited about uh, what's going on. Um, at the On the other hand, I, just let me um, uh, spend a, a minute focusing on the question of how uh, we mentioned just a minute ago about a lot of these people who've moved into the city. I still, quite frankly, don't understand how many people are still gone. Uh, why? Where are they? What are they doing? Do they want to come back? Um, uh, and, and um, how are we uh, addressing the issue of the gentrification that, of course, we're seeing in many neighborhoods in this city. So uh, to what extent is Nora focused on those issues?
1: Uh, Nora is focused very keenly on uh, affordability and uh, dealing with that issue uh, uh, with gentrification, recognizing that our neighborhoods are changing, even the neighborhood I live in, uh, uh the Seventh Ward neighborhood has changed dramatically over the course of the past, I, I can tell you, 16 years that I have lived there. Uh, it has changed. But what we've got to do, both uh, Nora, the city, and all of our other uh, nonprofit partners have to assure and maintain some level of affordability. That's as in units that are coming online, making sure that there's a percentage of those units that are affordable, making certain that individuals who uh, want to stay in their neighborhood can still stay in that neighborhood and be that homeowner repair uh, funding for a a low-to-mod income individual. The more and more that New Orleans grows and the the much, the more sexier uh, she gets, the more uh, interest in individuals wanting to come uh, to live in New Orleans, which we love that. But we also need to maintain our our heritage. We need to maintain some of those things that have made New Orleans unique, to maintain those neighborhoods. And in order to do that, that means that the individuals that want to live there, that have lived there over the course of the past 20-plus years can still do that. Exactly. But how do you do that? We maintain, we provide for uh, 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 financing, we provide for housing, and to make certain that we maintain those levels of affordability, that to the extent that there's land that is uh, in those areas that we at Nora own, we make certain that we make those available for affordable housing opportunities. Okay, great.
0: Well, that's actually a perfect segue. Andrea Nika is now with us, so... Um Eka, uh I know that this is your focus this is your issue.
2: Right. Good and morning. So
0: and uh and I'm sure you know and Brenda. Brenda you know Nika So um uh, give us from your perspective um kind of you know on the thermometer where are we in in and in, in how well are we doing in addressing what um Brenda is is trying to accomplish at Nora, and I'm sure there are other agencies in the city addressing the same issue. And I couldn't agree with her more about the importance of keeping our heritage alive at the same time that we welcome... These new young folks who are you know bringing all kinds of great juice into our city and I'm they're part of my world and my cultural world and I'm happy to have them. but I also have noticed the changes in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is uh, it's pretty bizarre when you walk down the street and then it's a whole different complexion of community from what you've been living with for you know 40 years that I've been there.
2: Well Brenda's exactly right and that we do have to maintain the soul of our city. Uh, that's difficult given the economics, right? Tourism is our major industry. Those are, without question, um, not the highest paying jobs, and you know, not the, the dreams that you want your kids to to, to aspire to. Um, but those, those are the opportunities that are here in New Orleans. So how do we? Um, and also, the the our musicians, you know, here in New Orleans, they don't make a lot of fun money. Money. Those are actually you know, our culture bearers, the Mardi Gras Indians. Those are not folks who typically pull down six figures so how do we how do we make that work and what we've been doing for the last 10 years after after the storm was rebuilding um you know stabilizing trying to fix the things that were broken and what katrina did is it it exposed the iniquities um this is the institutional racism um the classism that kind of had kept uh things um kept people kept people held people back and 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 um those, that, that led to those horrible conditions in 2005. And so how do we move forward? How do we you know, get – we were at less than zero. How do we get to plus one um, now on the, on the second half of recovery? And that's what Housing NOLA is about. So folks like Brenda Brough and Ellen Lee and Flothel Daniels, um, leaders in the community, leaders in the industry. Um, we've got people from the Housing Authority of New Orleans to community leaders from New Orleans East – uh, to neighbors from uptown uh, to affordable housing developers of all shape sizes, spent the last year laying out a strategy that would get us to um, plus one, we hope. We, and the first thing we had to do was identify the problem, that what, what is, what's the big issue is that people are cost burdened. And part of this is we're a little victim of our success. As uh, more people come here and more people want to live here, that drives prices. The, Housing prices are going up. But what's really bizarre about that is the, the rate of vacancy, right? So part of our issue is it's not simply that it's trendy and it's cool to be here in New Orleans. It simply costs more to own and maintain property in the city. With property taxes, That's that's the first thing. But there's also insurance. Um, that's a that's a that's a big taxes, problem. Taxes when
0: you when your property gets reassessed. That's right. You know your property, uh, your taxes go up. I, I had a, a friend who lives on Poland Avenue talk to me about losing her neighbors. Who've been there for years, mm-hmm. um, actually more than a generation, who lost their uh, who had to move just because of the property taxes. Because of the property taxes. That's something that we should be figuring out how to address. Can't we grandfather?
2: So no, there, and there are programs. So number one, that's one of the things that we identified in Housing NOLA. There are programs existing on the books right now for senior citizens to actually freeze their property taxes. I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> <laughs> and we found that about eighteen thousand. Eligible senior homeowners aren't taking advantage of the program. So getting the word out about initiatives like that.
0: let's, Let's do that right now. Let's get the word out. Who should a senior citizen, and tell me what the eligibility is, call to
2: determine if they can
0: maintain their tax rate?
2: It's 65 and older, and they should call their assessor. Now, obviously... The um, the we're coming to a close on the, the assessment period, and there's going to have to be things that have to be done t- in order to, um, you know, they have to go down and fill out the paperwork, and, and that's going to take some time at this point, and they, they're they unlikely to get it done for, for 15, but they can talk about it, I mean, for 16, they can get it done for 17, hmm. and so that's, those are the kind of things that we're rolling out with Housing NOLA is, how do we get the word out in a thoughtful way, and how do we help The assessor's office kind of managed this. What is, Mm -hmm. what is getting the word look like out? (laughs) And what does that mean? Do we have buses? Is there, are there, um, bonanzas? Are there, we go to senior programs and talk to seniors (laughs) about this because we don't want a thousand seniors lined up in the steps of City Hall yeah, um, to try and, you know, take advantage of this program. Is there, we, a,
0: is there an income level? Nope. Is, uh, any senior above yep. the, Oh, ooh, that's yep. very interesting news. Okay, so where can they, – they need to call their assessor's the office? The assessor's office, yes. Okay, so yeah. if they don't know who their assessor is, which I'm sure some people don't. Um, well, we only can, have
2: one now, but yeah.
0: Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting that big reform post right. one of those big one reforms. of the great
2: things about that so mm-hmm. now you just have to call the one assessor's office
0: yeah right okay so that's that's one strategy mm-hmm. and what are some of the other strategies that you've got going on the affordable housing brenda do you mind uh, staying with us and you can join in whenever you want or if you need to uh, uh, oh, no, click no, off i don't
1: mind staying in okay andronika why don't you point out some of the items that were identified such as you know the coordination of funding uh partnership with uh all of the public agencies, and utilizing some of the publicly owned land.
2: Right. So that's the other thing, is that there's less money coming in. Um, New Orleans, the state got billions of dollars uh, to rebuild post-Katrina. That money is going away. And so now New Orleans has to deal with the city gets a certain amount of dollars for um the community development block grant funding they get a certain amount of home funds and what's become it's particularly galling at this point is that not you have the the sequestration and things that are going on in the federal government the cuts that are happening there and these assessments are tied to population these number the, the allocations are tied to population so new orleans doesn't have the population that it had pre-katrina we're going off the 2010 census which is Lower than it is now, but certainly lower than it was pre-Katrina, so we're getting less money in um, a time where we really do need more. So to what Brenda was talking about was the fact that we had to look at how do these, these um, government funds work together with private dollars and publicly held land smarter. So not simply, not simply saying, okay, we're going to allocate these funds and may the best project win. It's know what areas of the city need this type of investment so that it's not simply the developer saying, well, this, this deal is easy for me to do. Um, I can build X number of units, and it may not be in the best location, but I can. I, it's better to bring the units on board. One of the things Housing NOLA did was look at each neighborhood and, and determine what the actual needs are based on what we call our, our gemstone typology. So each neighborhood is a gem. So, if, for example, you're in an emerald neighborhood or a sapphire neighborhood, those are areas of the city where there's some parts of those areas don't have a lot of transportation, and they don't have um, some. They have um, they have high vacancy. They have a high vacancy rate. So, there doesn't need to be a lot more affordable units in there. What needs to happen in those neighborhoods is an investment in opportunity. So, those folks need more um, better jobs or more jobs. Um, more transit. So you are, so when you address the housing issue, you are actually
0: also looking at the jobs and employment and training and, And transit. Know, uh, because and in, in the final analysis, uh, this is, to me, I'm so focused on the technological revolution that we're in mm-hmm. and the effect that this is having on um, people on both ends of the income scale. So you've got older uh, people who are losing jobs that are, are going offshore or are just being eliminated, and then you have younger people who are looking and don't see the opportunity. That has profound effect on our cities. And and I, I don't – you know, with all those – I'm kind of a political junkie. I listen to the talk shows every night, and I don't hear people talking about this. I hear them talking about these quality-of-life-ish – not quality-of-life, these – um what do you call them, these... Uh, Straw man issues. The moral issues and so oh, on. value yeah. I mean, issues, oh, yeah. value, thank you. That's what mm-hmm. I was trying to grab for, that word. And um, and not about the, the, the underlying issue in this country is this enormous um, uh, economic revolution we're going through.
2: Well, they talk about it, I think, but they also don't get to the heart of it. You don't hear a presidential candidates talking about affordable housing, and or you don't hear them talking about housing despite the fact that the largest economic one of the, the second biggest economic crisis in the city the country's history was predicated upon the housing the housing two
0: thousand and eight and I just saw the big short the other night i y'all you have to see the big short if you want to understand one of the underpinnings of how our economy works, you have to see this film, especially those of you who think oh let 's see how can I say this without being too political um Those of you who think the solutions lie in um, uh, immigration policies that keep people from coming in and not having a safety net for folks, if that's what you think is the issue, go see that film. The Big Short is playing at Canal Place right now. I'm sorry. Pitch, go.
2: (laughs) No problem. So um, like Brenda and I were saying earlier, uh, that – So one of the things that we're looking at is how do we leverage these resources and use publicly held land in order to incentivize developers to make these investments in neighborhoods that really need additional affordable housing instead of where it's easy to to build. And so we're looking at um, the the land that the city has. Nora has been doing this, actually, um, for the past few years with the, the road home properties that they've gotten from the state. Um, putting those together uh, in bundles for developers to work on and bid on and then also talking to the housing authority about their inventory and so that instead of a uh, these um these siloed efforts it's coordinated and that sounds pretty simple but it's something that it doesn't not- sound
0: simple at all.
2: <laughs> well, working together, So when you boil it down to just working together, that sounds pretty simple, but getting everybody on the same page. And what's been so gratifying about this process is everyone gets it. They just needed They just needed um, this kind of table to be set.
0: You know, I want to ask both you and Brenda a question that you may or may not, um, uh, this may or may not be within your sphere of work. Um, uh, focus but um, i i am I'm sort of saddened by the lack of a uh, of a um, deliberate game plan to use some of the vacant properties that um, have emerged as a result of not only the storm, but just sort of a longer-term economic issues. For example, some of those empty schools that are sitting around the well, city. That's. I, I wish, I know, I, I'm assuming and hoping that some of that will go for affordable housing and other housing, but also, um, you know, I'm involved with the Creative Industries, which is the number one growth industry on the globe in our country and is not being acknowledged to the extent that it should be by our um, business and uh, public leaders here. And I wish some of those schools could have been envisioned as centers for production, for creative industries that would create jobs. And we have such a creative workforce and, and students in our city, and they're not being invested in. So what about the schools? What about some of these empty properties, some of the church properties? I was so sad that the churches just dumped them rather than looking at what could have been a more deliberative economic and and social uh, policy regarding the use of those spaces.
2: What the good news is, is on that front, uh, Brenda can talk about Nora's plans, but I can tell you that from the housing NOLA perspective, we don't consider those properties lost to this process. Um, This is a 10-year plan for a reason. So that we don't, you know, what, what typically happens when you roll out these kinds of initiatives is that. If if you can't get it done inside of 18 months or a, year, or a year or 18 months, then you kind of said, oh well, we tried. Or if it didn't happen up until that point, oh well, we tried. It's a 10-year plan because we know that a lot of these conversations are multi-year conversations. The school the school property issue is a complicated one that involves the state the state house. Um, the Orleans Parish School Board, the RSD, and so... And
0: uh, some very long-term disinvestment resulting, because I looked at a couple of those buildings for projects that I'm involved with, and they were in such bad shape that it would have taken double-digit millions of dollars to bring them back, and that that beyond our capacity. That's
2: right, but it takes time. So there isn't an urgency, whereas... They're trying to dispose of the properties today or even next week or even next year. We can have those conversations with the, the the requisite parties to come up with a plan so that the properties are made available in a way that makes sense, not just for affordable housing, but for any other initiative. So that's why um, Housing NOLA sets a pretty big table.
0: So um Andrea Nika, I um I, I would love to spend the rest of um, my short uh, window here at uh, WBOK talking uh, on this. I certainly want you to sign me up, put my name down to be involved in this cuz I am very interested in it. Um and Brenda you as well, um please keep me informed and in touch on what you're doing, but I want to join into the conversation now. Um some gentlemen who are here in particular I'm looking for my notes, but you'll just have to introduce yourself. Um, uh, somebody from the Army Corps of Engineers, because the flip side of this whole housing issue, of course, and I know, Brenda, that as you develop housing in the Lower Ninth Ward, that it's going to be green, that you're going to raise it, that you're going to mm-hmm. address the likelihood that we will have other high water events, and we are actually in the middle of one. Um, and so all of us, um, we're sort of a, a kind of uh, – you know, you come up on the river every once in a while, and you look out, and you say, whoa, <laughs> it is seriously high. And when our river gets high, it gets kind of angry. It gets kind of very active, and you look at it, and it's really boiling away out there. And you wonder, um, hmm, so so are we okay? Okay.
3: Okay. My- uh-
0: Tell me your name, title. Good morning.
3: I'm Mike Park with the Army Corps of Engineers. I'm the Chief of Operations for the New Orleans District. And hi, Brenda. Hi,
0: you, how are you, you?
3: We worked together uh, after recall. Hurricane Katrina quite a bit, <laughs> uh, trying to set the conditions for the recovery with the cleanup. Um, but what's going on right now is uh, we do have a uh, very high river. We're setting new records for stages in the river at this time of the year. I know that's the and, sc- scary
0: uh, thing, right? Is the time of the
3: year. But uh, but the good news is that we have a very robust uh, river flood protection system. It's called the Mississippi River and Tributaries Project. It was authorized uh, by visionaries in 1928 in the River or in the uh, Flood Control Act of 1928. And the uh, concept remains about the same uh, in terms of how the river is managed. Uh, In particular for the New Orleans area, uh, we have what we call a flood stage uh, of 17 feet, and that's really not based on the elevation of the river as much as the volumetric discharge that goes past the city of New Orleans.
0: How much the the river channel can...
3: Handle. Would that's, that
0: be another way of saying that's it?
3: That's correct. It's yeah. it's the uh, it's the discharge of the river, and the design discharge for a flood in the New Orleans area is 1.25 million cubic feet per second. Uh, it's kind of a difficult number to wrap your mind around, uh, but we uh, did a little checking and we think that you could basically fill the space of the Superdome in about 100 seconds.
0: Wow. Uh, about a minute
3: and 40 seconds. So it's a, it's a huge amount of water. Um, with this particular flood uh, that we're dealing with right now, we're... So you do classify this as a flood? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm, so we're mm-hmm. so we're regulating the flow past the city of New Orleans to not exceed that one-and-a-quarter million cubic feet per second. And you're doing that through, through your the operation th- through of the, spillway. the, of the, spillway. the bonnet Spillway. Now,
0: that's what I'm really curious about because, you know, I, I sort of I, I kept hearing about, okay, we're going to crest at 17 feet, so we're going to open the bonnet Spillway. Then the bonnet Spillway was opened considerably, And it was still heading towards 17 feet. So I was like saying, what don't I understand about this?
3: Okay, so when we operate the Bonnie Carey Spillway, the purpose of that operation is to keep the flow to one and a quarter million cubic feet per second past New Orleans, which generally equates to a stage at the Carrollton gauge of about 17 feet. So right now oh, the, uh, the spillway is open as much as we are going to need to open it for this flood. Uh, we have 210 of the 350 bays are open. And the flow going into the spillway, out of, out of the river into the spillway, is about 188,000 cubic feet per second. And that's, the reason we're doing that is because we saw... Uh, higher than the one and a quarter million cubic feet per second coming down river toward us. Like how? How much higher? Well, it's uh, at its maximum. It's 1.41 million cubic feet. That's per considerable, second. huh? So we've got to take off nearly uh, 200,000 cubic feet per second to contain the flow past New Orleans in the designs so
0: so and and what actually I mean again we're so early in the year so that, that begs two questions one um, uh, what caused it to be this high this early and I guess we're all aware of the big storms in the Midwest so I think that's part of it El Nino which was driving those storms but um, the front page of the New York Times today, 2015, far eclipsed 2014 as the world's hottest year. And then if you go on and if you read this whole article, which I did, and this there, I kept looking for a section of it that I saw this morning before the show that I, I have had trouble finding, but it's basically saying that with the warming up of the Earth, one of the results is um, higher moisture. And with higher moisture, you get fiercer storms with fiercer storms you get higher water and it doesn't just affect our coastal erosion which is the thing most of us have been focused on but it also resides, results in a lot more water in the mississippi river so is this something that is, it's not just a one-time event. It's not just this winter. It sounds like this is something we're going to have to continue to uh, address. And and so that asks the question, first of all, let's look at the short term. Are we going to have another flood in the spring when we usually have it or even sooner? And if so, how do our levies do? And then long-term if if this is going to keep on going on and and keep happening or at least during El Nino and I don't remember how long El Nino was going to last and Keith I know you're on the line just stay with me and let let me get through this point and I'll come to you okay hold on
3: okay so the the biggest contributor to the river discharges that we see down here is rains in the midwest and particularly in the Ohio Valley the Ohio River is the biggest contributor so when we get uh, major rain events or major snowfall events in the Ohio Valley, that's predominantly what causes a river to rise and fall here. In uh, general,
0: even in the spring. So I always thought that
3: it was yes. more like
0: snow up in the around uh, Illinois and Michigan and and.
3: Uh, well, the the uh, there's a huge drainage basin.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, Two thirds of
0: the, the
3: country, or something like it's that. It's forty. It's forty one percent of the. Continental United States 41%. drains through the New Orleans and uh, Morgan City area, either through the uh, Mississippi or the Atchafalaya rivers, and uh, parts of three Canadian provinces. So it's a, it's a huge drainage basin. But the biggest contributor is the rain that occurs in the Ohio Valley. And so you could have relatively abbreviated major rain events that cause a very significant rise and fall in the Mississippi River. And these are just climatic conditions that we deal with all of the time. Uh, this system that we have is a very robust system. It's operated and maintained uh, in, in cooperation between the local levee districts, the state flood management authorities, and the federal government. And uh, we are very well practiced and passing flows of this sort uh, through through the system.
0: But Mike, you must be talking you must be talking about this this possibility that this trend is going to continue to intensify. I mean what, what the what the scientists who, who are talking about this um, heating up of the earth, what they, what they're saying is that, you know, again, with this you get more severe storms and more extreme weather which causes a lot of deaths. We had 2,500 people that we lost last year to uh, weather events, basically, as you say, rain events. 140,000 people in Europe died last year due to extreme weather, heat waves as well as... as. So, um, I mean, you. I know you guys think long-term. You're not thinking just short-term. So you must be thinking about how are you going to deal with this on in, in, in the long term.
3: Well... Uh, I would be hesitant to uh, characterize the events that we're seeing right now as a symptom of global warming. I didn't ask certainly. you to do that. I, I, I didn't want to go didn't. there. And, uh, but certainly, you know, our, our systems are adaptable, and we are uh, certainly uh, with the hurricane risk reduction system looking forward uh, to estimates of sea level rise and designing our systems so that they'll be sustainable into the future based on those uh, estimates of sea level rise. And as we make these observations of what's occurring in nature, uh, we will progressively adapt our systems. Uh, One of our tenets is to apply the best available engineering and science, and that is an evolving thing. As new information becomes available, uh, it's the core's tenet to apply that new information and make adjustments so that we're ahead of the game.
0: Mike, I have to admit that I'm not sure I felt like you answered my question. We'll come back to it in a second. Let me get Keith on the on the line. Hey, Keith.
4: Thank you very much. I wanted to ask the gentleman, you know, I have family members that work for the Corps. The last time my brother, they worked on a trucker down in Yazoo for the train crossing. But I wanted to know, ask him, I know the Corps sometimes use a lot of heavy equipment and moving land to do things now for you know, been, uh, for several years we've been watching that, that rise of the, of the river level, you know. This this one here is not, you know, this, we've been watching it for several years. But I want to know, for years, what is driving these seagulls? red tail hawks. It looks like buzzers. You got three or four types of birds that have been driven in this city from somewhere. I don't know where they come from. Can you tell me where <laughs> is driving these seagulls and different varieties like red tail hawks and other birds in this city? They're coming deep in the city. They've been here surrounding the city for years. You see them all in uh, shopping malls, like in like they're in uh,
0: Walmart's. Walmart's on Tulus. I'm always amazed at the number of seagulls in that parking lot, and I keep trying to figure out what on yeah, earth is drawing what? them to the parking lot.
4: Because I always thought that moving land around for the years. And doing certain things, Minister. Other Paul Louise and me driving them into the city of New Orleans. You think the gentleman can answer that question? Thank you, Sister. Jane. Thank you, thank
3: you, Keith. Um, I'm I'm really sorry. I I don't think I can answer that question. That that's outside of my area. You
4: know what,
0: Keith? I'm going to get one of the guys <laughs> from uh, the Sierra Club who. Uh, um and the uh forget the Audubon society uh in here for a show because it's an interesting question actually uh there's a lot of birds that have been turning up i have a rather big yard i'm i'm like one of those i think they call us a key lot or at, at least i'm i'm sort of from uh street to street back and, and we have birds in our yard this year that I've never heard before. I can't necessarily see them, but I hear these calls and I say, this is a whole different ecology. What, and I, I ask the same question. Hmm. What's going on? Are they coming up from the, from? hotter or are they coming down from cold or who knows what but well, uh, i don't i don't think mike is uh, an expert on this we'll we'll um we'll we'll come back to that but you know what i still i want to go back to the present we we're talking sort of longer term future um and, and and it's true we really don't know what's going on but um i do think uh my sense of it is that it is getting hotter. The, the The statistics are pretty incontrovertible. They're they're here. You should read this article. Um, and and we are going to see more extreme weather. So I'm I'm assuming that you're going to have a tougher job, Mike, dealing with that river out there. Um, and so I'm I'll be you keep me informed as we go forward and tell me you know how that engineering and science that you're talking about is going to work out. But in the short run, let's talk about the
3: little boils, the little leakage, and the condition of the levees. Give
0: me a little update on that.
3: So uh, when we observe stages in the river at the Carrollton Gauge of 11 feet, uh, we activate what we call a phase one flood fight, and we begin doing regular inspections of the levees with our forces as well as the local levee districts and the state's uh, authorities uh, begin doing regular inspections. Uh, We curtail construction activities on the levees and uh, and other permitted activities that could in any way compromise the integrity of the levee. And then if the river stage uh, actually gets to 15 feet or higher, we go into what we call a phase two flood fight operation. We activate our emergency operations center for 24 hour a day operations. And we have our our forces, as well as the local levy districts and the state, looking at every single mile, every every foot of every levee in our system How on you a do daily that? From basis. From the river,
0: you, you have a boat we going have, down the river. That we have
3: people patrolling the levees, mm-hmm. patrolling the levees. Uh, we've got a lot of experience with the way that the system performs, and so we know where to look for areas, areas that could be distressed. But the things that How about we're looking Holy Cross? for. Pardon me. I said, you know, how about Holy Cross? I don't have a personal we don't, interest. We don't have any uh, particular issues in that area. No. Okay. No, but we, but we do because these levees are built out of earthen material, and they're built. They were built over centuries, beginning with people who resided along the li- along the riverbanks, and then later by public authorities, and then later by the federal government. Uh, they, they've been there for a very long time and have been performing for a very long time. But the river is dynamic, and so the the Batcher areas uh, accrete and ebb uh, according to what's going on with the river. We maintain uh, revetments in the river so that we can stabilize those banks. Uh, we're – you know, we have uh, – some locations that we're aware of where seepage is a common thing, when the river gets very high and the pressure against the levees gets very high, you get a certain amount of seepage that can pass underneath the levee and in uh, permeable substrates. But uh, we know how to deal with those, and we're not observing anything that should cause anybody any special alarm right now.
0: So I can't resist asking this question. You know, actually, it's sort of ironic, but the very first story I ever covered as a reporter when I first came to New Orleans at WDSU was the opening of the Spillway. (laughs) I went up there with photographer Bob Perrin. You probably remember Bob. Do you have? Hello, I don't
3: know. uh, I don't know, Bob. What year was that? Nineteen
0: seventy-two.
3: Okay. Yeah. Well, we had a major. we had a major high river in 1973.
0: It might have been 73. Okay. It was probably was a 73 uh, flood.
3: That was a a major event on the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. Uh, caused just a lot of problems in uh, the old river control complex. That was one of the two occasions where the Morganza Spillway was operated. That's the spillway
0: that I, I went okay. to see. Mm-hmm. So the
3: Morganza Spillway is uh, way upriver. Yep a uh, couple of hundred miles from here.
0: Um, oh, no, then it must have been carry that I saw because we didn't go up that far.
3: Okay, so mm-hmm. Bonacari is just upstream, mm-hmm. just upriver from New Orleans yeah. and allows water to go from the Mississippi River through the spillway into Lake Pontchartrain.
0: So um, uh, let me just ask you one uh, what-if question. I can't, again, resist, and we're almost out of time, so I will... Um, Uh, We'll have just a couple seconds on this, but um, what if, after opening the spillway, you still had high river, then what?
3: Well, we have several ways that we can manage water surface elevations and discharges in our area of responsibility. The furthest upstream is the old river control complex, and it's operated on a daily basis to distribute the flow between the Mississippi River and the Atchafalaya River uh, in a 20 and excuse me, a 70% Mississippi, 30% uh, Atchafalaya distribution. And that also includes the discharges from the Red River that go into the Atchafalaya. And then, if we anticipate that we're going, if the forecast tells us that we're going to exceed 1.5 million cubic feet per second past the Old River Control Complex, we have the capability of diverting another 600,000 cubic feet per second into the Atchafalaya Basin through Morganza. Okay. All right. That's a little
0: reassuring because I I have this feeling, tell me I'm wrong, (laughs) that we might have some more high water this spring. Mike Park, it gives me great um, comfort to know that you're got this under control, and and I've got the stats, and and so when anybody starts getting panicky, I'll I'll be able to share these with them. But please come back and talk with us again when um, we have the next uh, sort of worrisome moment, but I I appreciate uh, your knowledge and your help, and good luck.
3: Thank thank you for
0: having us. (laughs) Thank you for coming very much. And uh, this is Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations. Andrea Nika. Thank you for coming. And Brenda Bro from Nora. um, We had a lot of information flow, so to speak, during the show today. Talk to you next week on Thursday, 10 o'clock. Bye.